You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning. I hope you're all doing well. Uh, you know, this is a couple of weeks since I've been here. One week I had COVID which I'm sure you've all had by now, or most of you have had by now. Um, If you haven't, well, (laughs) there's time. (laughs) Um, I'm sure if you're local, most of you will know of the little lovely house just up the road called the House of Bins. Have you heard of the House of the Bins? Put your hands up if you've been there. I find it ironic because there are no bins there. So if you take your dog for a walk, you will be carrying that poo bag around with you for the rest of your walk, okay? There are no bins at the House of Bins. But more specifically about the House of Bins is the folly. That's what everyone recognizes from the motorway. If you're driving either way on the M9, you're going to look, if you're driving towards Edinburgh to your left, if you're driving towards Bowness, keep your eyes on the road, by the way, but look to the right, you will see. Everyone's seen that, haven't they? Most people have seen that, the folly. Now, just a quick couple of pointless points about the folly, which is ironic because it's a folly, right? Um, Built in 1826, okay? I had to research this. This is not innate knowledge. Uh, Designed by Alexander Allen, and it was the result of a wager with the owner of the estate at the time, Sir James Daliel. I'm hoping that I'm pronouncing that well. Maybe it should be Daliel or something like that. But... All right, can we uh, edit that one from the podcast? That'd be amazing. Uh, As a a weird little side note, so going back into the 17th century, Sir Tam, like it's an O, it should be an O, but he he went with Tam. Sir Tam... DL. Weird story, right? I mean, this guy, apparently, he he thought he played cards with the devil, and uh, one day uh, the devil lost playing cards to him, and so the devil picked up a marble table and threw it at him, missed, and got it in the pond. Uh, I mean, it's a weird story. Uh, Yeah, very strange. But anyway, the folly itself cost £29 to build. Now, I'm thinking... I could do with one of those. (laughs) My back garden, let's have a nice little folly. Could make a little office out of it. But it it sounds like good value, right, doesn't it? 29 pounds. But it doesn't matter, because it's absolutely useless. It doesn't matter how much it costs. In fact, the the equivalent today would be 1,665 pounds, 48 pence for nothing, effectively. For, for a garden statue thing, I mean, that seems like a huge amount to spend on something that's completely without point or purpose. And actually, it was the equivalent to 193 days' wages. I mean, come on. They say if you're going to buy an engagement ring, what is, what's the rule? Is it, it should be one month's wages or something like that? One year's wages? I don't know. Depends, <laughs> Depends how much you love her, boys. <laughs> It doesn't matter because it's useless. It's like a chocolate fire guard, right? Purposeless. It's like, you know, those security peepholes that you get in hotel rooms, having one of those fitted onto a glass door, completely pointless. It's like if you go up to where Rona and Simon live, there's this little barrier that's supposed to stop bikes getting through the the path, but there's nothing either side of the barrier. So they could just ride around it. It's like having a gate in the middle of a field with nothing there, absolutely. Or a smart fridge. I mean, why does your smart fridge need to do Twitter? What's it going to say? Like, by the way, hashtag your milk's off. Like, ridiculous. It seems like a waste. So I have to ask, what, what were um, Sir James 
DLs. <laughs> it's like Kakodi. Like, it, it's not spelt that way. Come on, Okuras. Never mind. <laughs> I, I have to ask, what were this guy's priorities? You know, what, what did he value in life? I mean, most humans have priorities, right? Kind of probably built around what we consider to be most important in our, our lives, like providing for our family. That's a pretty high priority, yeah? Okay. Um, you know, personal security is probably quite a high priority. We wear a seatbelt. It's a priority, right? Personal security. Uh, having a good work ethic. It seems like a pretty good priority to have. Or, or maybe not just things that we consider important, but things that we consider desirable. We can put priorities around that. So, uh, you know, we prioritize what, what we enjoy, what, we, what makes us feel good. Perhaps we prioritize the people that make us happy. <laughs> and, and we kind of don't prioritize the people, perhaps, that, that kind of make us feel like Eeyore or something like that, like a bit of gloom in the room. And, and even young children will have priorities. Like, toddlers will have priorities. Like, offer in one hand, if you don't believe me, go up to your toddler, offer chocolate in one hand and broccoli in the other hand. Like, which, they're going to prioritize taste over health, right? It's generally, I mean, there might be some really weird kids out there. Sorry, I'm not calling your kid weird if they like broccoli. But there might be some really weird kids out there who, who would prioritize broccoli Come on, over chocolate. <laughs> I don't think there's many adults who would prioritize broccoli over chocolate. H have you ever stopped to consider why we hold the priorities that we do? I've just realized I hadn't pressed start on my timer, so my time starts now, boom. <laughs> what priorities are you building upon? Like, we, what we prioritize has a direct impact on what we produce. What we seek has a direct impact upon what we find. What we praise has a direct impact on what we pursue. You know, if we praise footballers, like, hey, you know, Rangers did well the other night, well done, boys. But, you know, if we praise those 11 men, then we're going to pursue that as a priority in life. In a minute, we're going to get into Haggai 1. Now, I know what you're thinking. Surely we're in Philippians for the next five years, right? So I thought I'd give you a little break. I thought I'd wait till I come back from Ukraine, and then I would give you, uh, I'd go into Philippians 2 at that point, okay? Um, but in verse 5 of Haggai 1, that's where we're going to be today, Haggai 1. In verse 5, we're invited to give careful thought to our ways. It's a gentle challenge that, that graciously allows us to step back in freedom and ponder our lives. What are my priorities? Are they in the right order? What, what should be at the top of my priorities list? And, and this is it. As humans, we are built for relationships. We're built for relationships. Firstly, with each other. We're built for that, okay? It can be super hard, can't it? Like, it's, it's not the one that we're like, yeah. Well, sometimes we are, you know. We need people around us, right? I, I, how many of you over lockdown, don't worry about putting your hand up, but how many of you really felt the, the crush of loneliness as we were just stuck in our own houses? We're, we're built for relationship. But the thing is, like, it can be hard. I find phone conversations awkward, okay? I, don't even get me started on Zoom or whatever other platforms that are available are out there. Like, in fact, I even find one-to-one -one engagement difficult sometimes. I, I know some of you will as well. 
Find that one-to-one. A little bit awkward. You know, small talk. When you first meet somebody and you've gone through the, what do you do? Like, where do you live? Like, I don't know. What, what do you ask after that? I don't even know. What's your favorite color? Boom. You know, it's not, it's not, I'm not great at the chit-chat. I'm not great at the small talk. I find it super awkward. I have to force myself past that point because it doesn't seem to come naturally to me. And so does that drop down my priority list a little bit? Is there a danger that it could drop down because I find it difficult? Like, I'll give you a couple of examples, right? I find it even awkward to be on the phone to Jess. Like last night, I texted her goodnight. <laughs> There's some judgment in the room right now. <laughs> you, you, what, you need to watch this guy. Like, no, I mean, last night, I do talk to her on the phone, but I find it super awkward. Like, I don't find it super awkward to be with Jess. I just find it awkward on the phone. It's like, I, I don't know when you're supposed to finish the conversation and how. All right, love you, bye. <laughs> kind of. you, you know, and actually, you, you know my friend Simon, who is in, uh, in Norway. Um, I, we, we chat to him on uh, Messenger, video Messenger every so often. I hate it. I love Simon. Like, he's a dude. He, he's my man, you know. But, but just then chat to him. So one day, honestly, no word of a lie, I said, Simon, I've got to go. I've got to clean a cupboard. I, I was absolutely genuine. I've got to go. I've got to clean a cupboard. But now if he recognizes that droop in my kind of, he goes, have you got to clean a cupboard, Tom? <laughs> but that's all superficial kind of stuff. What about the gritty, the enduring, the, the forgiving, the, the bearing with one another in love? I mean, that's hard, right? And you're not on your own if you're thinking, yes, that's hard. But we are built for relationship with each other, but also we, more importantly, more significantly, as human beings, right, we are built for relationship with God. We're designed with a desire to be inclined towards God. We fill it with all kinds of other things, but basically everything else that we desire after, hunger after, is a poor reflection of what really is the innate desire of our hearts to have relationship with God. He created us to be in relationship with him, and it's actually evidenced in the ways that we ought to relate to one another. I say ought to because we don't always hit this right. And I know John was preaching on this and, and the love of Christ in action in our lives last week. Uh, and, and so it's this ought to, but we don't always get it right. But this is really about our need for a relationship with God. In fact, our relationships with each other are like an analogy for our relationship with God. We'll get into that a bit more when we get into Philippians 2. Uh, and uh, let me just say this. Relationship with God is our greatest need. I, I don't mind where you've come from today, what your beliefs are, you know, what your lifestyle is like. Don't worry about that right now. You need to be in a relationship with God. It is your greatest need. It should be your highest priority. And if it's broken, if it's in ruins, or if it's in decay, then everything else becomes meaningless. And so Solomon, who was one of the wisest and richest men that ever lived on this planet, had so many things, and so many women as well, which isn't necessarily wise, but he had so many things, and yet he was saying everything is meaningless. Why? Because the road to self leads away from God and consequently away from his blessing. If that's where you are, 
or if that's where you feel you are, can I invite you, like Haggai, to give careful thought to your ways? What can you do about it? What are you doing about it? What are your priorities? Gentle question to you. I'm not going to check up on you. You know, I'm not going to come and say next week, have you shifted your priorities around? Show me what they look like. Just between you and God, what are your priorities? And this is where we find the people of God in Haggai 1. So if you've got a Bible with you, open up to Haggai 1. If not, it's going to come up on the screen. And if I get this wrong, then Susan's going to like, keep me in check. Um, I'm, I'm not going to read it as a one here, but we are going to go through a little bit at a time. I'm going to see how far I get, okay? And I can come back to whatever else that we haven't covered next week. But first, we get into the setting. Here we go. So... In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, uh, Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of uh, Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Come on, give me some credit for the names there. Come on. I might not have got Daliel right, and I'm going to carry on calling him Daliel, but... Yeah. <laughs> So firstly, this is around about 520 BC, okay? It's the 6th century BC. These, this is where, if you know your biblical history, that, that the Israelites have been taken away into captivity in Babylon, and this is them returning. This is the end of that. They were in captivity for 70 years, and this is them returning from captivity. And this, this uh, ruler, Cyrus the Great, came and overpowered Babylon, and he was, quite, he was a dictator, but he was like a benevolent, he was a good kind of dictator. And he said to Israel, actually, go back. Go back to your land and rebuild. And more specifically, I want you to rebuild the temple of your God. He gave them that permission. Go rebuild. And so that had happened, but now we're in the reign of King Darius, who's not quite as benevolent, but we'll get into that another time. Their mandate is to rebuild. This whole story, if you're interested in this, it intersects with Ezra. So if you want to look at the, the book of Ezra, and it also intersects with Zechariah, who was prophesying at the same time, in the same place as Haggai as well. And the thing that I find interesting here, just note this, 70 years, right? 70 years. So most of the people that have gone back to Israel are either old or they weren't the people that lost the land in the first place. It wasn't them that lost the temple because of their behavior and disobedience. And actually what happened ultimately was about disobedience and idolatry. Looking elsewhere for what only God should fulfill in our hearts and in our our vision. It occurred after multiple warnings, multiple times. But listen to this, every generation, every generation has suffered the same problems. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one, each one turned to his own way. And we'll see that in a minute. So here, here they are, back in town with a mandate to build right. Now imagine for a minute, probably not too hard if you consider what's going on in Ukraine right now. Imagine you've been forcefully evicted from your home and your land, and what you have left behind is now in ruins. It's not hard to think about now, is it, at this moment in history? 
But now think about this, that your most holy place, the, the, the temple, the place that represents the presence of God to your people, where you come together to meet with God is completely destroyed and the site where it was is even out of bounds. You're, cap- you're taken captive by another power. You picture that? Now imagine that a way home has been provided for you. You're suddenly free to return and build. What do you do? You, you rebuild, right? You go back, you start rebuilding. But where do we begin? What, what are our priorities? Where would you begin if you went back to a town that you loved that was in ruins? Where would you start rebuilding? Would you start with a temple? Or would you start with your own dwelling? What would your priority be? In Judges, there's this phrase that pops up quite regularly. It says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So what was right in this generation's eyes? Let's have a quick look at the next couple of verses. Okay, This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say... The time's not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. You see that? The time has not yet come. Here we see that, that kind of rationale, okay? It's not the right time. They try to justify their priorities here. Now, if you want to read into this a little bit, if you know some of the context, it becomes easier to do that. They're saying it's not the right moment. Why are they saying that? Perhaps they're saying, surely we should rebuild our own houses first. I mean, security. Like, if I don't have security, a secure place to live, what's the point in doing anything else? Surely that's the the good thing to do, the right thing to do, to provide for my family. As As the man of the house, I've got to build a home that protects my wife and my kids, right? Maybe that should be my priority, my duty. Isn't that the responsible thing to do first? You know, uh, then the other thing was that as they were were trying to build, because they had started to rebuild the temple, but they kept getting put off. Why were they getting put off? Because the Samaritans who had come to stay in the land that were like uh, kind of a mix of marriages between Jewish people and other people, and, and actually they hated the fact that the Jews were coming back into the land and starting to reclaim everything that was theirs, and so they oppose the rebuilding So surely, with that kind of opposition, the thing we should do is look out for our families. Look out for our security first. Maybe they were thinking we don't have the finances. I mean, the land hadn't been worked in 70 years. Like, if you haven't touched your garden in 70 years, that's going to take you a few months to sort out, isn't it? Or a bulldozer and a rotavator, you know. But it's it's not going to be easy, okay? Now, do we make similar justifications? Go back to our priorities. What's, what's our priority list looking like? Uh, what might our reasons look like? Now, I, I'm not standing here looking at all you going, oh, you guys, you need to get your priorities in order. You should be more like me. No, I'm, I'm the same. I'm in the same boat. In, in fact, if you're a Christian from the, like, the 90s, <laughs> there was a band called DC Talk. Come on. Some of you, Yeah. They sang this song, and it's, it, they sing the line, I am the king of excuses. I've got one for every selfish thing I do. What's going on in my life? What might our excuses look like? Duty? You know, I'm, I'm expected to. Like, people depend upon me to do 
X, Y, or Z. Or maybe the timing's off. Oh, I can't, I'd love to, but I can't now because I'm about to go to uni or I'm about to do this or I'm about to change jobs or whatever it is. Or this year is the year where I want to, I mean, you fill in the blanks here. When I see this, this is a good one. When I see this happen, then I will. The timing's off. Or the, the whole not enough thing. I'm not gifted enough. Is that ever an excuse? Is that what, excuse is too strong, maybe justification. I'm not gifted enough. I don't have enough resources. Oh, I'd love to do that, but I don't have enough in the account to be able to do that. Or maybe I'm not clever enough. I'm not cool enough. I'm not whatever enough. I mean, you feel, what, what do you not feel enough in your life? And listen, it might sound sensible, it might sound practical, it might sound wise, and it might even sound spiritual. We, we can put our reasoning into spiritual language and hope that nobody notices. It's not the right time. It's not the right time to rebuild the Lord's house. Maybe in another context it'd be entirely fitting. But God knows. You know, sometimes God does say wait. Sometimes God does say not yet. Sometimes he does say slow down. And sometimes God says stop. It's not that we should always be like breakneck pace at everything. Just drop everything else. But it's about listening, discerning, and being obedient to what you feel the Holy Spirit is revealing in your life. As measured up by scripture. But it's possible sometimes that our rationale our rationales are excuses, isn't it? Sometimes, maybe. But it's not always that way. And maybe this is the only point I really get into today. I really want to get to why the temple was so important that that should be their priority. I, I might get there, but I don't want to rush it either. Listen, it's not always that we make excuses, so I don't want you to be shifting uncomfortably on your seat now, thinking, oh, this is awkward. You know, what are my priorities? Is everyone watching me for what my priorities are? By the way... Like, don't worry about who's watching you, because everyone's thinking the same thing right now. Like, <sighs> but it's not always that way. Look, I think oftentimes we get priority distracted. Like, I, I want to hand you that. Not, not as a you're trying to, oh, I don't care about this thing. I think we get distracted, and our priorities get bumped down the list. Sometimes, you know, the, the urgent blocks out the important. You know, you know what I mean? Like there, there are things in our lives that are super important that we do, that we safeguard, but sometimes the urgent just has a way of raising its ugly little head at us, and we're like, oh, but I've got to go do this. I've got to sort this out now. Do you? We, we get bombarded by priorities that are dictated to us, targets and deadlines and responsibilities. I'm not saying, by the way, ditch like listening to your boss. <laughs> Okay, the Bible makes it very clear. We should be good workers in the place where we work. We should be a good example. So I'm not saying you should go up to your boss and go, I don't like your priorities. They don't match up with my own. So I'm going to just ignore your priorities. I'm going to chase my own from now on. That, that's not it. But isn't it funny how, I mean, you look at today, most of you go home and still have access to work on your phone. It used to be that you would leave work at 5 p.m. You might have to think through a few things. 
You might have to mark a few books, you know, if you're a teacher or something like that. But generally, you go home, you, you, you can budget and manage your time as your own. But today, it's different. Don't even mention that little red dot on the app on your phone. It's an angry little red dot, isn't it? Oh, I hate that little red dot. Whoever invented that? Do you know it's actually invented with the intention of making you feel you have to act? It's red for that reason. Notice me. It's called a notification. Hello? Notice me. I've sent you a message. Like you've got 29 emails here. That little red dot can crush joy. That little red dot can be the, the urgent that blocks out the importance. And you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is, who's emailing me? Who's messaging me? What do I have to respond to? And whereas actually what would be the most healthy thing for you to do in the morning is wake up and open this and just have a look. Just read it. And just say, Lord, give me your pace today. Not the pace that's in my pocket, but the pace that is written upon my heart. Don't be a slave to technology. And I say that as one who really wrestles. Technologies are Babylon. You know, Babylon wasn't all bad. They got to trade in Babylon. They made a lot of money in Babylon. It was productive in Babylon. And when they came back, they had to work hard to restore the land. How many times do we want Babylon and reject the good land? the fertile soil of God's word. I want to give you permission not to answer me when I text you. Maybe at some point, that'd be nice. But <laughs> And I want you to give me permission not to answer you straight away at least. You know, I mean, even in a small church like this, if every one of you sent me a message today... I'm not saying don't message me either. I do like, okay, I'm not, oh, backpedal. This is actually written down. I get in danger when I haven't written stuff down. I, I, I'm not saying don't message me, but just imagine if everyone messaged me something, like I wouldn't, what, what would I do this afternoon if I tried to respond to everything? I, I can't always do that. You can't always respond. Now, Pastor Dom, and this is going on the podcast, so Pastor Dom from Sunny Hill in Poole, one of the NLT. Uh, I, I borrowed his iPad once. I was horrified. He had 10,000 unread emails. 10,000. 10, I'm not exaggerating that. Ten, in fact, I, I'm underplaying that. I'm like, so that time when I emailed you about that really important... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's too far. Maybe that's too far. But you don't have to be a slave to the technology in your pocket. If technology starts making you work for it, it's the wrong way around. I want to give you permission. God's word gives you permission to shift that priority around. We're not saying don't answer. We're not saying don't have those kind of... It's it's good. Technology is great. I mean, hey, where would we be in lockdown if it wasn't for technology? Yeah? So I, I don't want to diss it. And I love Apple products as well, so I've got to be a bit careful. I think oftentimes we genuinely believe that our priorities are right and good. But in what order? What order do you put your priorities in? And and here's the challenge. The, The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. 
Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? That's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, wood, like machined wood, was a bit scarce coming back after the exile. So they're living in houses they are panelled. I mean, this kind of talks about some luxury, some kind of completeness. It, the panels on your house are the things you put in last, I think. I mean, ask John, he's a construction kind of guy. But, like, no, not you, John, the other John. The other John P. Yeah, don't worry. John, come and talk to us about construction industry. Uh, and so it's not that they just constructed something that was a shelter, something that was a safety or something like that. It's that they went a step further. They were prioritizing their homes. And all the time, they were doing what was right in their own eyes. You know, God requires us to do what is right in his eyes. Uh, and not because he's a forceful dictator, but because, here's the surprise, that's better for us. Uh, and often, in Scripture, we see a great disparity between our thinking and God's thinking. We, we should be very careful with that. There can be a great disparity, what I think versus what God thinks. Now, why is this such a big deal? Why is it better? Consider the building, the temple, right? We're, today, we're not about the building. This doesn't matter. We're grateful for it. It doesn't really matter. The fact that we can gather, that matters. The fact that we come together in worship and to, to hear what God's saying, that, that matters. But the, that doesn't matter. We could go in a field if we get kicked out. And that'd be okay. Just bring a coat. The, the building, the temple, is about the presence of God. Right in the middle. Right in the centre. Right in the highest priority. The, the revered and the honoured place of God's presence. So it's not about a megalomaniac God who's lusting after man's praise. It's because he is truly worthy. That's number one. It's because it is better for us. That's number two. And it's because we are built for relationship, first with God and then with each other. The temple wasn't just, you know, you come on your own. It was you come as a people and worship God and hear what he's saying. And when he's there and when he's sought, then great blessing. But when he's not there and when he's ignored... Great risk or great trouble. And this whole story is kind of like a mirror of what's already occurred in the very first three chapters of Genesis. Think about this. It's a mirror image. A perfect creation. Compare this to the temple because this is a place for man to be at home in relationship with God. The, the whole land that God created of Eden is like a temple where man and God walk together and have that perfectly designed, intended relationship. Adam and Eve could be with God, with no barriers. It's kind of like the intention of the temple, isn't it? But an invader came in and corrupted 
And this resulted in eviction. It's kind of like exile, isn't it? Eviction from the garden. Exile to a distant land of captivity. Captives to sin. Slaves to sin. They're so similar. You had this thing that God gave you. But you kept looking away. And in the end, after many warnings in the garden, don't touch that tree. Uh, And then all through the rest of Scripture, if this, then this. But if this, then this. You choose. You, You choose the blessing or you choose the curse. If you do this, then you get this. If you do this, then this is what happens all the way through. And so we get to the same place again where eviction from the land that God has given his people taken into captivity. It's the same thing. So God positioned his presence with his people, first in the garden, but it was polluted. Then in the Ark of the Covenant, but that was lost. Then in the temple, a more permanent structure than the Ark, but that was destroyed. Like a number of times that was destroyed. And then... Most gloriously, most gloriously, he came in flesh through Jesus Christ. And even though Christ was crucified, then came the morning that sealed the promise. His buried body began to breathe out of the silence, the roaring lion. Come on. This is good. He was raised imperishable. He cannot be corrupted by death again. And in him doing that, he is creating for us the incorruptible. And even though our body now is corruptible, it is every one of us. This thing that you have now, love it or hate it, you're not going to have it forever. But what comes second, the, the glory of what comes second is better than what you currently have now. And we'll see that as we get to chapter 2 as well. A way home has been provided through Christ who wrestled with and defeated our captors. He's purchased our freedom and is now building a new temple of living stones. Hallelujah. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but it's just so good. Like where, where the ark was, where the temple was, where, where Jesus is, where his church is, there is life and there is blessing. But to bring it back to that challenge, a decaying temple signifies a decaying relationship and brings defilement rather than holiness to the people. When he is removed or replaced, when he is dishonored, or disregarded, we're in peril at that point. What are your priorities? I want to come back to this next week, if you'll permit. I... I want to come back to the other points. I I want to look at what the results of that neglect really looked like for for those people there and then what that looks like for us. Like what was happening in this passage, in this story, in Scripture. But again, it's like a mirror of what keeps happening and keeps happening and keeps happening. And if we're honest, it happens in our hearts as well. 
What, what happens to the people when their priority gets shifted, when their focus gets shifted from the one who created the heavens and the earth, from, from the one who's the author of life, from the one who is able to answer every one of our questions, from the one who's able to reach into our darkest moment and bring hope and joy and life, from the one who's even able to reach into our unbelief and help us right there with it. Like, there's so much. I I could talk about how vast and how wonderful and how great and how deep and wide his love and his provision and his grace is for you. You, you can't fathom any of it. You, you, you can't even think of another story to make an analogy for it. Like what God has for you is immeasurable. Uh, and yet we keep looking at our phones. We keep looking at cat videos. <laughs> I'm not dissing this. I love cat videos. They're amazing, especially the cat cucumber ones. Brilliant. If some of you go, go YouTube... No, actually, no, no, that's the opposite of what I'm telling <laughs> I'm not saying that all of our entertainment is wrong, but what are our priorities in this? I, I'm not saying that our caring for and investing in our families and our friendships and, uh, and what have you is wrong. I'm really not. In fact, it's entirely right. But what, what are the priorities? How does this fit? Well, one thing I do know is that if you draw near to God... You draw near to the source of life and healing and blessing. And he speaks over you words of peace, words of affirmation, words of blessing. Why, why would we not want to draw near to him? And, and yet when we so easily draw away from him, life gets hard. I'm not saying it's all easy and it's all roses when we're close to him, but something shifts in our heart, right? How many of you have been through a fiery trial and found that, weirdly, you've got joy in the middle of it? Yeah? If any of you have actually experienced that, just pop your hand up, nice and high, be proud of that. Have you gone through a fiery trial and known the presence of God in a beautiful way? Everyone else, have a look at these people. Right? That's, that's available for you. That's, they've been through the same things. And it's not because they're special Christians that they've found joy in the middle of it. You know what it is? It's our falling at the throne of Jesus Christ and saying, I need your mercy and I need your help and I need you in this situation and I'm going to wait here. Like Jacob, I'm going I'm to hold on to you until you bless me in this. I'm going to hold on to you until I know that this is truly your presence at work in my life. Are you with me? And yet so often, like when I feel my mental health goes down or I, I tank or I feel like stressed or something, you know, I, I, I don't often enough go to this. I go to Netflix. How rubbish is that? Like, how ridiculously weak is Netflix to heal you? How powerless is Amazon Prime to really invest in who you are. All the things that we cram in that we enjoy, keep enjoying them. 
But as you're enjoying them, know that the real like, joy of all of our desires is because we desire him above all things. And so when you love food and you're like, I'm just, oh, I love a steak. I want to give glory to God. Thank you, Lord, for cows. <laughs> Sorry if there's any vegans or vegetarians in the room. <laughs> you know, if you, if you like going on the steam train on a Saturday, go on, you know, if that fills your heart with joy, go do it. But while you're there, go, thank you, Lord. You're the author of joy. You're, if I move near to you, then there's joy in abundance there. But if I make it this thing, if I'm like, this train has to make me feel better. It's rubbish. It's not going to achieve it. It has no power. It's like an idol made by human hands. Nothing in it that can help you. But as we draw near to him, he will draw near to you. I'm definitely picking this up next week. What, what we prioritise has a direct impact on what we produce. What we seek has a direct impact on what we find. And what we praise has a direct impact on what we pursue. Can we stand together?